Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This show is designed to assist entrepreneurs, small business owners, and SMEs to overcome their challenges and to become more successful. I hope that you get a lot out of the program. I'm sitting here actually with a glass of champagne and a half-empty box of goldfish, celebrating the fact that we've been on air for six months tonight, and uh, it's all going very well. You know, I love this network. They've got something for everyone, and if you listen to it, um, I'm sure you'll be as impressed as I am with the diversity of information for small business and for business people in general. Having said that, it's my belief that neither the Democrats or the Republicans, President Obama, Mitt Romney or the House or the Senate are going to have the guts to come together to create the paradigm shift in how we do business in this country or to take the steps needed to reduce this deficit. I've said this before over and over again. The future of this country lies in the hands of the entrepreneurs who create jobs for the 21st century, who create wealth. You know, Facebook has directly or indirectly created 540,000 new jobs, exciting jobs, not people screwing widgets on, on bolts. People have lost their jobs on the assembly line, and I really feel sorry for them. But those jobs are never coming back. And it will not help the country or the economy to continue to prop them up artificially. The rust belt needs to be turned into a synapsis belt. To do this, the government needs to support entrepreneurs from those in college to returning vets. We're arguing about how much tax this top 1% should pay. Well, my view is the top 1% should pay some levy just a little bit more tax, and these funds should be put to work supporting entrepreneurs and young businesses. Let's have this top 1% who have done well out of business invest in new business to create the next 1%. Last week, I spoke about my recent 10-speech tour in Iran, speaking to MBA students and business leaders. I said that I was really impressed by their, edu by their dedication to education. Both men and women, classes were pretty much 50-50, as were the business events, and how the questions I received in Iran were pretty much the same as that I get in the US or Europe or Australia. Now, I had a number of emails during the week, a few from narrow-minded, ignorant people who said I shouldn't be educating the enemy, some even saying that I was a traitor. <laughs> I'll have a drink to them. Um, from my perspective, it was a great experience and I'm looking forward to going back. I'd wait until the fifth fleet gets out of the straits though before I do it. But anytime I can use my experience to help someone develop their business, I will take that opportunity and I don't care where I go to do it. Many of our listeners are entrepreneurs or in early stage businesses, so I thought today, I'd discuss seven of the biggest challenges that face small business. Now, starting a business is a big achievement for entrepreneurs. 
creating the idea or the product, analyzing the potential markets, studying the competition, developing the business plan, and then raising the funds from family and friends to get started is both difficult and frustrating. As hard as it is to get started, maintaining the business is an even bigger challenge. There are lots of issues that every business faces, whether they're large or small. These include things like getting funding, developing the right marketing marketing strategy, hiring the right people, building a brand, and just goes on and on. However, there are also a number of problems that are unique to small business. I'd like to look at what I think, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that's a goldfish going down the wrong way, I think. Let's look at what I think are the seven biggest challenges. First one is creating a business plan. This is the one point on which all business experts agree. It is essential to have a strong business plan, a well thought out business plan that looks at the market, studies your competition, determines where your opportunities lie, and analyzes in detail precisely the steps you're going to take to penetrate the market that looks at your strengths and your weaknesses and the strength of your management and determines exactly how much money you will require and when you're going to need it. You also need to establish an exit strategy. And all of these things are absolutely imperative if you're going to be successful. Too many early stage businesses have not rigorously developed a comprehensive business plan. And then there's obtaining investment. Now, most small businesses begin by using their own money and money that they get from friends and family. Usually, this runs out pretty quickly and you need to look for additional funding. Most businesses join an angel network, get a number of responses and send out their business plan. These companies almost never get funding. There's several reasons for this, and um, firstly, investors want an, in, an investment plan. They don't want a business plan. Secondly, less than 5% of businesses succeed, so investors are more likely to invest with people they know. That's why I only approach people that I've got a rapport with and that I trust, and that maximises the chances of success. Most early-stage businesses fail because they can't get investment. Problem number three, I think, is client dependence. When you begin, you often pick up a client and that client becomes very important to you, often presenting you with over half your income. And if that happens, you're in trouble. Diversifying your client base is vital to growing a business, but it can be difficult, especially when your major client pays well and on time. That's a godsend, so you protect it. But it often results in longer-term problems because your future is totally in their hands. If their business takes a downturn, if they cannot pay your bill, or they begin to pay you more slowly, your business really feels the pain. So you need to diversify your customer base. The fourth issue facing small businesses is money management, having enough cash to cover the bills throughout the year. In order to address this problem, small business owners must either be well capitalised or need to be able to generate extra revenue when it's needed. This is why so many small businesses 
work at developing their new business while they have a job. But that makes really difficult to build a business. And as your business grows, money management becomes more and more important. And it's not something that you just fit around doing a thousand other things. So ideally, you get a financial advisor or an accountant, somebody that can alleviate a lot of the pain that gets caused. The fifth issue that small businesses face is fatigue. You know, when you begin a new business, you're all full of enthusiasm. You work 18 hours a day, seven days a week. The adrenaline, the adrenaline's pumping. You see your goals beginning to become a reality. However, the hours, the work, the constant pressure, the worry about money, doesn't matter how passionate you are, starts to wear you out. You know, most business owners, even really successful ones, work much longer hours than their employees. It reminds me of a saying that somebody sent to me and I read on air a couple of weeks ago, that an employee works 60 hours a week so they can become the boss and work 100 hours a week. <laughs> it's not a very good plan, is it? And most business owners feel that, you know, the business will fail without them. If they're not doing it, then they're not, it's not going to happen as well which means they don't delegate and consequently they get more and more tired. The sixth major issue is founder dependence. If you get hit by a bus, will your business still be producing income the next day? A business that can't operate well and profitably without its founder is a business that will go broke. Now, this dependence is usually caused by the founder not being able to let go of the decision-making process. And, you know, it sounds pretty easy in theory, just hand over the reins to somebody else. However, you know, often you have to then grow with the employee as they get more experience. But it is critical that we learn to delegate and learn to delegate early as we start getting employees. Finally, the seventh issue that affects small business is balancing quality and growth. So even when a business is not founder dependent, there comes a time when the issues and challenges caused by growth match or even outweigh the benefits. So whether you're working with a service or a product, at some point a business must sacrifice in order to scale. And this often means not being able to personally manage every client relationship, not being able to inspect every widget, not being able to be hands-on all the time. Unfortunately, it's usually this level of involvement, your rapport you have with your clients, that makes the business successful initially. As a result, many small business owners often find themselves tied to these habits at the detriment of the company. There is a large middle ground between shoddy work and an unhealthy obsession with quality. So it's up to the business owner to determine a compromise that allows scale without hurting the brand. Having said that, you must ensure that you always keep a great rapport with your customers and fantastic customer service. Very simple. Bottom line, to take away these seven issues that face small businesses, one of the worst things a business owner can do 
is to go into a small business without understanding the challenges ahead. There's no avoiding these issues. The key is creating a very rigorous business plan that anticipates these challenges so that you understand the size of the challenge. You know, the reason that sports teams have coaches, you get the world champion, he's got a coach. Why? He's the world champion. Because he needs to keep improving. He needs to be prepared for all eventualities. He needs to study his competition. Now, business is much more complex than that. And you usually have a lot more competitors than just one. But for some reason, people do not prepare a vigorous business plan. You've got to be honest. If there's a problem, you've got to face it. So be prepared. Get expert advice. You know, it may seem expensive, but it's nowhere near as expensive as failing. Now, I've got two great guests today. Professor John Adair, who is the world's foremost thinker on leadership. He's the current United Nations Chair of Strategic Leadership. I actually caught him in Melbourne, Australia, which is my hometown. You know, as you know, I've been here 25 years, but originally from Melbourne. And I caught him there on a, on a lecture tour. I also have Bernardo Herza, who's the CEO of Lear and a leader in environmental technology. So don't forget to get in touch with me and let me know what you want me to talk about. Email me, Twitter me, go to my website, sign up for my newsletter, do contact me any way you like. Come knocking on my door if you want, but get in touch with me and let me know what you want. I'm Bob Pritchard. I'm celebrating six months on air, just about to pour myself another glass of champagne, and I will be back with you in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard 
straight-talking radio show where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary people and what makes them tick. What makes them interesting, mm. unusual and great is usually un indescribable, really. I find that most of the people that I speak to that um, have had exceptional lives and done exceptional things begin pretty ordinary, just like most of us. And uh, this, is the, this is the area where this is the time when we find out just exactly what makes them tick. Now, my first guest today is Professor John Adair, one of the world's foremost thinkers on leadership, and he is the current United Nations Chair of Strategic Leadership and the world's first professor of leadership studies. He is also the Honorary Professor of Leadership at the Chinese Executive Leadership Academy in Shanghai. He's published 50-odd books on leadership and organisational effectiveness. I've caught up with Professor Adair in Melbourne, Australia, at the beginning of his Australian tour. As listeners to this program know, I'm um, originally Australian. I've been living in the United States for 25 years, but I still sound like an Aussie. And uh, he's appearing in Sydney on the 27th and in Brisbane on the 3rd of May. So if you're listening to this show in Australia, get along and see Professor Adair. Professor, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thank you very much, Bob. You're involved in so many projects around the world. Where do you actually call home? A home is near Guildford, which is conveniently midway between Heathrow and Gatwick. So okay, I'm... I know it well. Yeah. I know that area well. Now, what's the basis of the leadership model that you've pioneered, the, the three circles model? What, what's the basis of that? Well, the basis is um, a universal one, really, namely that all groups and working organizations share something in common. I mean, they're all uniquely different. They all have their group personality. But rather like you and I, they have needs in common. Right. And these three overlapping areas that to achieve the task, build a team, and develop individuals, those are common to all organizations. You talk about there being a shift from the traditional style of management to a, a concept of business leadership. Um, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think it's a universal worldwide revolution really going on. It's a shift from old style management, downsizing, cost cutting, rationalizing, that sort of thing, mm. uh, to the concept of business leadership. And I'm using business here in the widest sense. You know, hospitals are business, uh, sure. schools are business, what you're busy in. And I think that all comes about through change. Uh, change throws up the need for leaders, and leaders bring about change. When, when business people and politicians are caught in this cycle of having to produce um, profits quarterly and, and um, politicians live on a um, Gallup poll-driven mm. cycle, how do you break that? I mean, it seems to me the first person who breaks it loses their job. Yes, I think this short-termism is, is a great problem because I think leadership is about taking a longer-term view. It's about dealing with the important and not just the urgent. Mm. And so often the urgent drives out the important. And I think strategic leaders need to, to be able to have the kind of vision to take a longer-term view and to work towards... Um, 
ends which are, are not uh, immediately present. And I think our culture of um, uh, quarterly profits and that kind of thing do rather work against that. So how do you change that? I think you probably have to um, approach it by looking at the culture that we, we create and live in and ask some very, very fundamental questions about the nature of leadership. You know, what is le leaders for? What is the nature of good leadership and leadership for good? Um, what are the kind of people that we need to uh, put into leadership positions? And these are people who have certain qualities, um, and they have knowledge and experience, but also they have vision and skill to achieve long-term purposes and aims in society. And it's education that's going to change it. Last week I spoke um, on this program about, well, I asked the question, is, is China more capitalist than, um, than, than the United States? And uh, <laughs> it, it seems apparent to me that their style of leadership um, lends itself to instant decision-making, long-term decision-making, long-term planning, and while the system of government may not be ideal, it certainly seems to be, to me anyway, putting itself in great stead for the future where it seems to me that the gridlock that we experience um, mm. day in, day out is going the opposite way. So with your dealings with the Chinese, is that a are they much more open to this sort of leadership? Yeah, I think you put your finger on something there. I think the world's body of knowledge now rests on three sort of great pillars, the Western tradition of thinking about leadership, the Eastern tradition, and the tribal tradition. Yeah. And both the uh, Eastern tradition and the tribal tradition are much longer-term view uh, of life, um, the tribal chief thinks of the long-term future of the tribe and not just the short-term one. Mm. And um, the, if you remember the Japanese um, uh, ascendancy, one of their great, and uh, still is true, one of their great assets is they think in terms of 100 years and not, not in 10 days or, or three months. Mm. And that gave uh, Japanese industry a great, enormous advantage over American industry and led really this, uh, this shift of interest from management to leadership. I've just written a book which is going to be published early next year on Confucius on leadership. Mm. Uh, and Confucius is the most influential um, creator of values in China, far more influential than Mao Zedong. Sure. Uh, and what you get constantly in uh, Confucian thought about leadership is that this long-term vista that leaders are not in it for the short term. They're certainly not in it for their own self-interest. They're there to serve the interests of the people. And he talks about uh, it taking uh, 100 years, two or three, four generations for the results of good leadership to work their way out in society. Yeah, I was, I was, um, going, I was going to mention that um, I've done a lot of deals with, with the uh, Japanese and... Um, I remember having a discussion where I thought somebody had paid too much money for um, a project that they'd, that they'd gone into, and they said, you know, maybe in the five years, eight years, ten-year future, um, yeah. we, did, we, did too, we did pay too much, but in the long term, 
we think it was a yeah. very wise, very smart investment. So they've always had this sort of long-term view. Exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. I often talk on this show also about the appalling lack of leadership we seem to get from Washington and um, both parties. I'm not, I'm not picking one party mm, over mm, another, but it, mm. it just seems to me that it's, it's very short-term, short-centred driven. Now, yeah. how the hell can you change that? I mean, how do, they can't even talk to each other civilly, and these people are supposed yeah. to all be leaders. Yes, I think I share your view, and I think one of the major problems, and here I speak in my role as the United Nations Chair of Strategic Leadership, mm. is that the one group of people who've been outside all thinking of any depth or range on leadership have been the politicians. Uh, there's been a kind of apartheid. You know, everybody else in the world, the uh, in business people, universities, police, everybody has now engaged themselves in thinking about the nature and practice of good leadership, and often in some depth. But the one group that's been exempt from all this have been the political leaders. And I've been trying to persuade the United Nations not just to do the kind of work I'm doing with them on their own internal leaders, but to lead the world in um, changing that idea. Because the position, Bob, and I'm, I'm sure you may agree with this, is the world's problems are getting worse. You know, they're getting bigger. Absolutely. They're getting more difficult to solve. And the kind of leadership we had yesterday is not good enough now. It won't cope with that. And therefore, we, we need to breed and develop a leaders for tomorrow in quite new way in the political field as well as in all the other areas. Well, these politicians, it seems to me that all these politicians, and I, I think that um, the global financial crisis also demonstrates that leadership is lacking <laughs> dramatically yeah, in the commercial a... um, areas as well. Um, there are leadership programs taking place all around the world on a daily basis, and that seems to me to have been taking place for 20 years. There's a million yeah. books on leadership. Why is all this failing so badly? Well, you're right. I mean, the spend on leadership development in America uh, last year was $50 billion. And there are 10,000 institutes. There's a vast leadership industry throughout the world, mainly driven and led by American uh, inputs. And, uh, and as you say, it's not delivering the goods. And the reason for that is that it's not based upon a body of knowledge. We do actually have a body of knowledge about leadership, but uh, that is quite different from the sort of fads and fancies of the leadership industry. And until we get back to this kind of bedrock of the world's shared body of wisdom about the nature and practice of leadership, we're not going to grow and develop tomorrow's leaders. So um, that's the reason why. And I'm afraid a lot of this uh, leadership activity doesn't produce the goods. You mentioned the global financial crisis. The Royal Bank of Scotland, uh, who were the, the main uh, four guys in the British scene, uh, spent $20 million pounds on leadership development, and look what it produced, nothing. Uh, it produced uh, complacency, it com produced complication, and it produced arrogance. You know, the three great sins of organizations. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't mean to be... I don't mean this to sound rude, but um, yeah. I understand you've had a million-odd 
business people go through your program. How sure. Many, how many people actually, out of this million people that have done it, and that's a, that's a phenomenal number. I, I, I read your, your bio with awe. I think it's extraordinary. Yeah. And um, how many people, it's a bit like I give a speech at a conference, and I reckon that two, mm. people, two people out of every hundred in the hall actually go away and do something about it. Yeah, and the other 98 sure. go back to just being who the hell they were before. So out yeah. of your million, how effective is your program um, in really making a change in those million, or is it only a small percentage that actually does something? Well, I think one of the um, differences of the approach kind of associated with my name and many of the others that you know and read about in the leadership field, all those those 80,000 books you mentioned and so on, uh, is this, that it's been around a long time. That it, the British Army, Navy, and Air Force adopted the three-circle approach back in the 1960s, uh, and the Australian uh, Army and Air Force adopted it a not long after that. And I, st- I met somebody from the Australian Air Force this morning, and they're still using it. Yeah. So we've had 40 or 50 years of experience. And if you let me give you one example of how effective it can be that the, um, the chief of the defense staff in Britain last year was a General Lord Dennett. And he gave a lecture on leadership quite recently, and he said this. He said, for me, the story started in 1968 when I was an officer cadet at Sandhurst, age 20, and I was taught the three circles. And he said, that has been the foundation for me of leadership throughout my career. This guy is the top of the profession. And I think that story I could duplicate, not just in the military field, because leadership isn't male, it's not military, it's not Western, you know. Uh, There are plenty now of examples of people who have uh, taken this philosophy and turned it into practical results in uh, very different fields. Because what the three circles gives you is the generic role of a leader. And once you grasp that, and particularly if you grasp it when you're young, you know, you can build on that and develop it throughout your whole career. It's a foundation. It's a rock. Professor, thanks very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really do appreciate it. I hope Not you at all. have fun in Australia. I like, I go back there from time to time, and I really like it. It's a great country. And I hope you teach them some things, because I don't think the leadership there is any better than it is anywhere else. <laughs> Well, uh, it, it's it's bound to be fun, and it's a great privilege to share with Australia, you know, my thoughts and ideas on, on leadership. So thank you very much for inviting me on the show. I appreciate your time with such a busy schedule. Now, to find out more about Professor Adair, go to johnadair.co.uk. That's johnadair.co.uk. And I'll be back after this very short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. 
Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Tune in for What About Wealth every week to learn the vital answers to your questions about creating wealth, investing it, donating it, and protecting it. Your hosts are Rich Bloomfield and Rick Durfee, who explain the principles that govern wealth in terms you can understand. Building and preserving positive wealth requires correct action, but few people know how wealth really works. Listen every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and find the answers you need about wealth. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. The number of challenges that confront us seem to increase every day, but there are a lot of people out there who are making changes, and quite significant ones. I think we'd all agree, well, probably apart from a few head-in-the-sand politicians, that ensuring a clean energy future is critical for our survival. Unfortunately, we've allowed short-term economic arguments to cloud our judgment. About 10 years ago, I met Captain Bernardo Herzer, an entrepreneur and inventor with a deep passion for helping the environment. Bernardo is a founder and CEO of Lear Incorporated, which is dedicated to developing environmentally friendly technology. Bernardo discovered that gasoline-powered lawn mowers, blowers and other garden tools produce up to three times more hydrocarbons that a motor vehicle does in an hour. Now, that's a figure that absolutely shocks me. And this represents about 5% of our carbon emissions. So he set about producing a complete line of propane-powered lawn and garden tools. He's now working on marine applications, and he's won a number of awards. Bernardo, great to speak to you again. Well, Bob, thank you very much for having me on, and I'm honored to be on your show. And uh, I was as shocked as you were when I found out really um, just how dirty some of these small engines are and that we could actually do something very significant to improve that by running a alternative fuel. That, that, I think it's fantastic. I liked it back when I met you. I met you at your, um, at your factory, if I remember. And uh, I liked it then, and I still like it. Um, can I start off with a, a general question? My experience is that the the public all say yes if if part of the uh, proceeds are going to charity or if it's environmentally friendly I'll buy it, but when it actually comes to the push and they have to put out their money, it usually comes down to price being a major issue. Is that 
how do you address that issue, or are you competitive price-wise? Or We are. I mean, as you know, my company, Lear, um, Lear is a, a environmentally friendly technologies company, and we have a very keen eye and focus on two major obstacles to the barrier of entry to basically any green product, and that's what we have. We have green products, yes. and those, those barriers to entry are one price point, and two, ease of use. Unbelievably, if it's not at least hitting those two points very clearly, you don't have a product that I believe or that in history has been successful in the market. Yeah. Um, we all want to do something good for the environment, um, but you know, if it comes to making it complicated to use or something that is not price competitive, then you have major obstacles to entry. Yeah, it, it, it comes down to that how clearly or how, or how simply you can articulate your um, your value proposition, and I, I'll get to that in a second. But is the company now profitable, or are you still raising funds to um, grow the business, or where are you at on well, that front? We're growing. I mean, interestingly enough, um, you know, we've had a tremendous success in lawn and garden. We've sold all major retailers, you know, the Home Depots, the Ace, the True Values, the Do It Best, Home Depot, Canada, Walmarts. And and uh, now we've, you know, gone off in a direction to do um, marine products. And we've launched the world's first line of propane-powered outboard motors. And, you know, the growth of a small company in manufacturing takes money. And, uh, and Yeah, and uh, it costs for the tooling and setting up of the manufacturing end of things. So, so until we can get uh, to, to major uh, revenue growth, so, you know, we're still raising small tranches as we need. Yeah, we, um, we reach uh, – the reason I ask that question is we, we reach quite a number of um, – investors and, and uh, successful business people that have money to, to invest and um, we've promoted a couple of products on the show that um, have attracted investment so that, that was the reason I asked. Um, oil imports are costing us a fortune and propane's domestic so just the advantages on this point alone are, are huge um, and what you're doing is surely in the nation's interest. Do you get funding from federal or state governments? I do. I, I've gotten... Um I've gotten some nice grants from an organization called PERC, Propane Education and Research Council. Um, You know, not any really significant numbers, but um, a little bit of funding for our R&D development and research that we've done here. Um, And as you know, propane now is a net, the United States is a net exporter of propane. Yes. So the ease of use, you know, the reducing of our dependency on foreign oil, which propane does, we're today unbelievably exporting 20% of the production of propane is going overseas. That's fantastic. So that's a big figure, you know. And with propane, you have, you know, no no significant emissions coming out of the tailpipe. There's a reduction in particulate matter. Um, it's, you're burning a pure hydrocarbon, so it's much cleaner. Propane is used indoors in equipment like, you know, buffers and forklifts. The fuel stores incredibly well, indefinitely. So there's no issues with the fuel getting old. There's no issue with the fuel getting contaminated. There's no ethanol issues. There's no gumming up carburetors. There's no choke. There's no priming. I mean, the benefits to the end user are just astronomical. And interestingly enough, it's been used in the commercial 
world for many years. It's the third most used fuel in the world for uh, internal combustion engines. But when it comes to getting it down to the consumer, it hasn't gotten there yet. And that's what we do because these types of products make their most significant impact when they're brought to the consumer. Sure, I agree. You know, I, in Australia, where you know I left Australia twenty odd years ago, but I go back there regularly. Um, a huge percentage of motor vehicles on the road run on propane. Um, That's cool. You can drive into your local gas station and fill up with propane, um, and it's just a regular, everyday thing that everybody does. But, Correct, uh, and you're going to yeah. see more and more of that here in the U.S. Mm. Um, and and your products have got. Huge advantages when I was looking through the um, information. Um, you know, no storage of gasoline and oil, which is dangerous. There's no mixing of, of, oil, of gasolines. There's no pollutants. And so what's holding back from dominate, dominating the market? I, I, I have this sort of gut feeling that the average Joe public um, has sort of a fear of propane. They just they have this, I don't know, I don't know why they'd fear propane and not gasoline, but they, they seem to have more of a fear of having a propane tank than they do about having a tub full of gasoline. Yeah, which is which is unfounded because propane is actually a, a very safe um, fuel to use. It has a higher ignition temperature than gasoline, which is only 480. Propane is like 960. If You, you can't really spill gasoline, I mean uh, propane. It immediately evaporates into the air. Um, the air-fuel ratios are very narrow, so it's harder to ignite than gasoline. Yeah, I think in all the years of, of propane cars in, in Australia, and that's been a long... It's been 20 years I've had propane cars in Australia. I have never heard of a fire with a car from a, po- a propane gas tank. Never. Not once. Yeah, you won't find it. it. You know, propane is used in the film industry for controlled explosions, uh, you know, when they want to do something. And the reason for that, it's just the safest thing to use. I mean, all fuels are very dangerous, and they should be handled properly. And please read all of the safety instructions before you use one of these fuels. A lot of my equipment runs on Coleman-type tanks, those one-pound yep, yep. Um, disposables. We are coming out with a refillable unit. Um, and then some of the larger equipment runs on your barbecue tank. It'll run yep. on composite tanks so they don't rust. Um, there's a whole variety of propane tanks available. The fuel costs about half of what gasoline does today. And gallon for gallon, you get the same performance or better, and the equipment will last much longer. Because 90% of the problems with small engines is directly related to the fuel. And uh, with propane, there's no winterizing, you know. And at Lear, we're very happy to promote the fact that, you know, like I said, we're reducing our dependency on foreign oil. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Um, Manufacturers of, you know, traditional lawn and garden products and probably um, your marine products um, have a large investment in maintaining their dependence on polluting fuels, don't they? Well, you know, I I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say anything too negative about what my competitors are doing. I just believe that that you know, running a running a uh, an engine on a fuel that is not a solvent, propane will not dilute the properties of your oil in your engine. Yeah. And the number one cause of 
you know, you can say of uh, of wear in the engine is is friction, and the better lubricated your engine stays, the longer it's going to last. And and the, basically, you know, with propane, that's part of one, you know, a major reason why you have engines that run on this uh, fuel that can, uh, you know, outlast um, some of the uh, gasoline equivalents. And at the same time, there's a misconception, oh, well, it's running propane, it'll have less power. Well, horsepower is horsepower. And, uh, you know, we manufacture OEM products. Our engines are designed and built to run on propane. And when we say it's a five-horsepower, it's every bit of a five-horsepower. And people are amazed to see the performance and the power they have because it's not a converted engine. It's not somebody who has taken their car or a gasoline engine and now is trying to run it on propane because propane actually has some incredibly good benefits to it. It actually has a higher octane rating than gasoline. So you know when you go to the pump and you buy your high-octane fuel at about 92 octane, right? Well, propane actually has an octane rating of 110. So an engine that is designed, an OEM, to run on propane like Lear engines are, they will be always more efficient than a gasoline engine because they're optimized to run that 110-octane fuel. When you talk about the misconceptions in the marketplace, um, people afraid of propane blowing up and people are fr- people um, perceiving it to be um, less efficient, lower, lower octane rating, is that... Um, are those misconceptions being spread by the the guys who are importing the oil? Well, you know, it, it leads me to wonder sometimes because why we have such an abundant fuel, and this is something that's now happening also because of the new fracking and the new technologies that are, you know, we're, you know, it's my belief we're going into a gaseous fuel economy, and I've been saying that for years. Now we're seeing it. We're seeing it very steadily grow, not only in the United States but in the whole world. Yes. I mean, several years ago, the United States imported about 10% of its propane consumption only because it was convenient out of Canada. But today, we're a net exporter of over 20% of the production. And the fuel costs are so low that, uh, you know, it costs half of what gasoline does. Are you at a, disa- so, are you at a disadvantage because the um, the oil companies have uh, spend you know billions of dollars on um, on lobbying and 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 you guys probably don't have that sort of clout is that is that part of the problem well the propane industry obviously doesn't have that kind of clout i mean they're you know they're a uh, green gas enacted by the government back in the 19 uh, 1990s so and we have a fuel that is not a marine pollutant that can't get in the water, you know. And of yep. course, with all of the reductions in in all of that, so you know, is there really a disadvantage? Yes, I mean, there is. But I think that the consumer is going to have the last say here because oil prices and gasoline prices are not going to go down, um, yep. and we're going to see we're going to see you know fuels like propane and natural gas now which have become very abundant and very inexpensive, continue to climb in consumption and use. And uh, I believe that the consumer is going to reap those benefits um, because these fuels are better than, you know, your standard uh, gasoline fuels because of their properties. And and in the old days, it was very inexpensive to buy gasoline, you know, when, you know, 
it, you know, you'd go to the pump and you could buy it for, you know, 30, 40 cents a gallon, then it, it didn't make sense maybe to use a wet gas. Yeah. But today, those days are long gone, and the cost of, of actually, you know, refining gasoline and the energy it takes to do it, um, it's, a, it's a much simpler process to um, do gas. Yeah, well, when you're when you're in the states and you're paying four dollars twenty five, and the rest of the world's paying thirteen dollars or fourteen dollars, you realize right. just just how cheap gas is here. So, what's your cut through message to the consumer? What's your what's the marketing message that you use to really cut through to get to the consumer? Well, at the end of the day, we actually have a better product, and and our better product and our better product. A proposition. A lot of it has to do with a very, very significant part of the equipment people are using, and that is the fuel. Yeah. Um, you know, we just have a better fuel. We have a better delivery system for the fuel. We have, you know, 38 patents in the space. We're a small company that's growing very rapidly, and um, you know, our our main objective is environmentally friendly technologies. And um, what really cuts through all of the other barriers to entry is a price point competitive product and a simple, easy-to-use product. I mean, there's, like you said, no mixing of gasoline or, or oils here. There's no problems with choke. There's no priming. There's no winterizing. There's no issues with storing the fuel. And at the end of the day, it's also better for the consumer to be around an engine that's running these clean gases instead of breathing, you know, toxic fumes from a um, from a gasoline-powered engine. Agree. Um, but Banana, we've just run out of time. Thank you very, very much for your thank time. Thank you. It's great to talk to you again. I think what you're doing is fantastic. I wish you every success. Now, if you're listening and you'd like to know more about Leah's products, go to www.go. Leah, L-E-H-R, dot com. That's www.goleah.com. And I'll be back right after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our sixth month anniversary show, the straight-talking business show that's coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. And we really appreciate the emails that you send us from all over the world. The reason this segment is so popular, and as I mentioned before, um, 
about the Iran tour, irrespective of where you are in the world, everybody has the same problems and it doesn't seem to matter what business they're in. Um, they seem to have the same challenges. So if you listen to um, our email segment, then you'll hear other people talk about problems that I'm sure that you experience also. So it doesn't matter what you do. Um, I think there'll be value for you in this segment. First email this week is from Paul Laughlin, I think that's how you pronounce it, of Allentown, Pennsylvania. Paul wrote, Dear Bob, I love your new book. It's been such a great help to my business and I'm slowly implementing the success keys that you talk about. Well, thanks, Paul. I appreciate that. A couple of weeks ago, you spoke about mentors and I've had a couple of mentors, one in my family and one is a businessman I met at Rotary. I think my business has progressed past the benefits they are providing me. What do you suggest? Paul, you can certainly outlive the value you get from mentors. Um, often as they get more familiar with the business, they become less critical, less objective, less outside the box, um, more familiar with you and how you work. So so you should have goals for your business and they should be really ambitious goals. It's no use setting garden variety goals because that doesn't give you anything to achieve. So I often set goals without any idea of how I'm ever going to achieve them. And that's where mentors can be a big help. So look at your goals and ask whether your current mentors can help you get there. If they can't, seek out new mentors to address those challenges. Don't cut the previous mentors off. Just keep them in the loop. They may get re-inspired with new people around them. A copy of my book, Marketing Magic, that also features Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson and others, is on its way to you. So I hope you enjoy it. Now, we here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show are all about helping small business to be more successful and more profitable. So keep sending us your emails and we'll answer them. If we don't answer them on air, we'll respond to you by email, but we'll definitely answer them for you. And my email address is bob at bobpritchard.com. Last week, week, I included a segment on great business quotes. And Anne Levinson from Brisbane, Australia, sent this one. Charles Darwin one of history's extraordinary thinkers, says, it is not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. And a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, is on its way to you. Another gem is a quote from Aristotle Anassus. The secret of business is to know something that nobody else does. That's pretty logical, really. And Harold Wilson, former Prime Minister of England, said, he who rejects change is the architect of decay. Alan Morris of Pittsburgh asks a question that I get maybe 50 times a week. Alan asks, what percentage of my revenue should I spend on advertising? Um, The answer to that question, Alan, is pretty logical, really. It's not the amount you spend that's important. What is important is how effective it is. As I've said over and over, research shows that only 5% of advertising is effective. So it's not what you spend, but how you spend it. The second point I'd like to make is that you should be making an allocation to marketing, not just advertising. There are lots of other marketing disciplines that will drive your business as effectively, if not more effectively, than advertising, and you should consider these. As a rule of thumb, allocate 10% of your revenue to advertising. If your cash registers are ringing off the hook, you may want to increase it. If it's not working, look at your value proposition and your message, not your budget. Remember, the Bob Pritchard Show is here to help small businesses succeed. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter 
and Google Plus. Be my friend on LinkedIn. And I will see you at the same time next week. And I'm looking forward to it. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.